Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, I know. You're telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations. In Season 6, our Disease Films series had adaptations like The Omega Man, based on I Am Legend, The Andromeda Strain, Children of Men, and Blindness. I Am Legend is so much better than The Omega Man. What about the Will Smith version? Don't get me started. For our This Is Real Life Jack series, we talked Black Hawk Down and Seabiscuit. Some great true stories based on fantastic books. And we had more listeners' choices like The Fly, The Emigrants, and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. You just did a series on The Fly on the Sitting in the Dark podcast. Did you read the original material? Wasn't watching every Fly movie enough? <laughs> Our Big Betty Davis series featured adaptations like The Little Foxes, Now Voyager, All About Eve, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Are you calling Betty Davis big? Only in personality and force. She is a force to be reckoned with. We talked about the entire The Godfather trilogy, of course. Iconic page to screen, even if it is just the one Mario Puzo book. I wonder if Coppola will ever make the Sicilian. We also had some Zhang Yimou adaptations with Judo and Raise the Red Lantern. Absolutely gorgeous movies. And don't forget the Hughes Brothers series with From Hell, based on the graphic novel. Brilliant material. Kelly Reichardt gave us Wendy and Lucy and Certain Women, adapted from short stories. Plus more Hayao Miyazaki as we tackled Howl's Moving Castle. Find all these books and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the show. Get the full list of adapted films that we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals and start your next read today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Why don't you spend some time, because I know you have some time to fill. Why don't you tell... Because <laughs> you're a windbag! <laughs> Why don't you spend a few minutes telling us about your happy birthday, your birthday movie-thon. You're 48? Oh, ow. What? I just want you to see, feel what that's like. Why? Because you're there. Shut it. We're we're the same age, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, relatively. What we're, is relatively? We're, we're, we're within a year. But which direction? I forget. Are I'm you, the younger and more handsome. God. <laughs> you do. You have one upped me in the hat collection. I have to tell you, I I think about that often when I wear my hats. <laughs> like, damn it! Oh, Andy got me again. <laughs> So you, uh, and and I believe I got this uh, perhaps from you, for years have taken your birthday off and you go see movies all day. I thought I got it from you. Really? I don't remember I have now. been doing it for so long, I don't remember. I always just assumed that I started doing it <laughs> when I met you. Well, we probably just enhanced our, our enjoyment of it. That is the truth. That, <laughs> that is the truth. Oh, there's so much love on this podcast. <laughs> tell me, tell, fill in the blanks. Tell me what you saw and uh, do it with as few breaks as possible so I can finish <laughs> so writing I some can, of this script. So I can not pay attention and finish my work. <laughs> no, I get it. Hey, that's cool. No, it was actually really, <laughs> it was a really fun day. I started, uh, I started with uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Which I have to say uh, may be my favorite movie of the year now. Really? Uh, so good. So, so good. And I cannot wait to go see it again. It was just uh, just an absolutely stellar movie. And um, yeah, it was just a pure delight. So very pure, much... What, um, what do you mean by pure delight? What does that even mean? Well, like, it what just... What kind it of was, delight was, are we talking about? It was uh, fresh. It was refreshing. It was uh, hilarious. It was... Um, you know, it had a fantastically quirky sense of humor, which just was completely up my alley. It had a great cast, uh, you know, the Sam Neill and the kid were both just brilliant in it. And, uh, it was just, you know, it was a fun story. I mean, it was, it was a little different. I mean, it was a great character relationship film, but done in a really fun way with, uh, with this kid and Sam Neill kind of on the run, uh, through the New Zealand bush. And, uh, it's just an absolute delight. I just really, wow. um, God, I just, I want to go see it again. Just thinking about it makes me so happy. It's just, I mean, it's so funny. And, and it's just, it was, uh, I, like I kept laughing, uh, cause it was just so stinking funny, but then I'd have these moments where I was like practically in tears. I mean, it just really, it got me. So wow. definitely, definitely worth checking that one out. All right. I, I can't. I actually. It. I don't even. I. I don't think I even knew when it was that it was out. It's a well. It's a very uh, limited kind of indie release, and uh, you know that's uh, you know, part of my, the enjoyment of my birthday movie thon is I. I don't have to worry about uh, the kids or anything, so I yeah. can go all the way across town to the art house and 
check some uh, check some uh, movies out that I normally yeah. would otherwise miss. So um, yeah, so fantastic. I saw that one. Then I saw the Infiltrator, the new Brian Cranston um, thriller. What do you think of that? Uh, I've been that's been on my Escobar. list. That's definitely it's good. It list. was definitely enjoyable. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's another Donnie Brasco sort of film. You know, um, the undercover guy is going to get caught. What's going to happen? Um, I mean, it was very thrilling. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was a great movie. I think it was uh, mostly buoyed by the performances of um, of Brian Cranston. Uh, the performance of Brian Cranston. Uh, I mean, he really just kind of you know makes the part live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun there. And then uh, Captain Fantastic. Um, I feel like I, I was kind of doing my own little trailer rewind with my yeah, birthday right. movie. Yeah, right. We've talked about all, all these. these. Right, exactly. Uh, Captain Fantastic with Viggo Mortensen as the uh, as the dad and the, who has the six kids and they live out in the wilderness. And he's kind of like almost a, 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 a training them for uh, you know being able to survive in the in the wild. And uh, I enjoyed it. I, I felt like the story in that one got a little uh, weighed down by the uh, the concept. I don't think that they ever quite got it to a place where it uh, um, it needed to be. But it was still uh, it was still enjoyable. It had some great uh, moments in it. And then I finished the whole uh, day off with a little Star Trek Beyond, which I re- I really enjoyed. I thought that was actually a, a refreshing. Uh, dip into the Star Trek universe. In fact, I feel like that was the first Star Trek, I mean, other than this first of the reboots, that's the first uh, kind of just a fresh story Star Trek that I feel like I've enjoyed in a very long while. Well, they haven't made a fresh story Star Trek in a very long while. Yeah, it has been quite a while. Not since Star Trek Generations, my friend. I I don't I think I'd have to go all the way back to like Star Trek. What was the Borg one? Star Trek First that Contact. First Contact was was that one. Uh, you know, everybody. I I think the the general consensus is that Wrath of Khan is is still the the one to beat. Yeah. Uh, I I disagree with that. I actually think it's First Contact. I think everything about First Contact really worked for me. I think it was it was such a great you know thriller with a cast that I really liked. Uh, and so that's that's one that that I, I think is hard to beat. I think there were elements of that one that that bothered me, but weirdly there were elements that didn't bother me in this one, like the use of modern rock music. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, I okay. think it was just what's his name, uh, James uh, uh, Cromwell, James Cromwell, kind of rocking out as he's building his rocket in that one. Do you know? Little, yeah. Well, you know why it works. I think in this one is because it's a throwback to when he was when Chris Pine's Kirk was a kid in the first in the reboot. Uh, drive, and he steals the Corvette, uh-huh. and he p- turns on, and it's Beastie Boys, right? It's, and so when he, in this movie, when he turns around and says, nice choice, like, yeah, that's right. like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I, it's like, he's already, it's weird that we're in this, in the third movie of this cast, and I already feel nostalgic for something that was only like six years ago, seven years ago. Well, I like so. the, the little bit Bones has, where he's like, what is this, classical music? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I believe it is. That's one of the things that I really liked, you know, we, uh, uh, we spoil movies. Um, it, 
one of the things I really liked about this is the way they sort of, I, I think we needed to see this cast serialized a little bit. We needed to feel what it would feel like because Star Trek is such a uh, property entrenched in television that to feel a little bit of the throwback uh, uh, kind of vibe from this film was really nice. The way they separated the cast so early in the film that that this was, last movie was such a Kirk Spock movie. This movie was a, was a Spock Bones movie. This was a Kirk Chekhov movie. This was, I mean, we get to see these characters that don't normally interact one-on-one uh, interact well together. I think it was great. And you, I, I tell me if you disagree, you could really tell that Simon Pegg wrote this movie. Yeah, it definitely had a nice, uh, a nice uh, feel of his writing style, which I just really love. I mean, I love his writing style. And I actually really love um, Jayla that he ended up spending so much time with. I thought she was a great addition to kind of the, the group and that he ended up spending yeah. so much time with her, I thought. Uh, seemed to be, uh, you know, his way of uh, another little writer's touch. It's like, oh, I I get to be with the new person. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, well, and that was actually my point. Like, the number of times you see uh, Scotty in kind of hero moments in this movie... Was right. I think around, <laughs> when he turns around and says, "Now you just a minute, Captain." <laughs> you know, she's lost of it. The captain has just told you to stay here, and you're turning around and disobeying him because you also wrote the movie. I get it. Okay, um, so I actually thought that was really nice. I had a great deal. Of, I saw it twice this week, and um, I probably shouldn't have seen it back to back, but I wanted to see it in Atmos the second time, and uh, it was it was very well mixed. Uh, I thought it was actually quite lovely. Um, but I did start noticing some continuity things. Like there's this, you know how after Spock, um, he gets injured and he changes clothes, right? He puts on an, a yep. uniform that was from the, the um, well, now the name of the ship escapes me. Uh, whatever the ship was that they find on this planet. And it actually has the name of the ship on the patch. And the mm. uniform has a very distinctive design, right? Huh. It's, it, it's yeah. a design from a ship that has that is 100 years old, right? It's been around right, for right. a long time. Later at the end of the movie, when the security officers are on this big space station, are running toward this wreckage, they're all wearing exactly the same uniforms. Were they? Yes. In a, uni- in a universe that changes uniforms like every two years. And huh. so I, that, was, that was a little bit frustrating. There were a couple of other little continuity things that I noticed that, were, that I found myself frustrated by, and I'm, I was trying to let it go. Uh, but of course, you see it too close back to back, and that's what you're focusing on. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I will say, um, I, just going back to Jayla, um, just I, and I didn't even realize this, but she's played by Sophia Butella, who did, mm-hmm. uh, who was in Kingsman. Yes, as uh, and she was as great. Gazelle, yeah. So you that's know, fantastic to see her popping up here. Uh, Simon Pegg said uh, was told the story of how she got her name. You, have you heard this story? I have the not. character name. So they they started writing this. Um, writing the movie together, him and his his partner Doug uh, something, and uh, they the character. The characterization that they wanted for that character was Jennifer Lawrence. And so they kept saying, they, in their writer's room, they kept saying, okay, and then Jennifer Lawrence is going to come over here. She's going to kick ass, and she's going to do this <laughs> and that. And then they, then they started, they just like, Jennifer Lawrence is way too long. Let's just shorten it to J-Law. And then it just sort of became J-Law. But that's, she that's is. That's hilarious. That is, that, is who, that is who should have been in the white makeup in their brains. I thought that was a funny story. <laughs> have you seen Sing, Sing Street yet? No, it's on my list. You're and, killing uh, me. I know. I've I said, seen well, the movie so many it. times now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched it like six times. We got it. It immediately came out on iTunes. I bought it after seeing it. I just, I love that movie. It's a stand-up and cheer movie, and the music is so good. Yes, it's on my list. I will watch it. Okay. Well, <laughs> what, will, about, what about Stranger Things? 
I've started. How far are it's, you? It's, I'm one episode in. Me it's, too. It, it, We're in the same I, place. <laughs> good. Phew. <laughs> it's, it's challenging because my wife wants to watch it. And so oh, now it's, it's all about timing. It's like, do we have any time? Oh, we've got, we've got just enough to watch an episode. No, and that's all we've had so far. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, I am in the catbird seat on that because my wife is, we have not caught up on the Americans. And so that is the couple's show for us. Uh-huh. And so she has given me explicit permission to watch Stranger Things without her, which is great. Very lucky. Not that I don't like watching TV with my wife, but really, <laughs> I need I need to catch up. This is ridiculous. I hear you. I uh, hear you. Uh, there is a there's an article I will post in the show notes that I thought was really fun about, um, uh, particularly about Stranger Things because of its you know 1983 setting. Uh, there's a long Wired story about the props and how they went about finding the props. Uh-huh. Like the Western Electric 554 yellow wall phone. Apparently, this is the one I thought was really interesting. Uh, in an early version of the script, it was set in 1981. But that is a problem when they start buying new phones in the show because the Bell telephone system wasn't broken up until early 82. So in 1981, nobody bought telephones. So huh. there's no plot line that you can that you can incorporate that would be realistic if the phone company comes out and just sets you up with a phone. Uh, and That's so funny. they had to reset the show by three years to the point where they, they started uncovering Radio Shack ads for new phones. I thought that was great. <laughs> It's a great. Well, that's film. a nice little uh, uh, bit of attention to detail. It is. Those, it, it Duffer is. Brothers. They uh, it, Duffer Brothers. I get the feeling that's a name. That's a an entity we're going to hear more of. I would like to think so because yeah. I've been nothing but um, impressed thus far. Yeah. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? This is the next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, another in our disease series for 2016 with Wolfgang Peterson's 1995 bleeder, Outbreak. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. And you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever met a monkey and then felt a little gooey around the eyeballs, then you might be ripening up just enough for The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge. And with that, let's fly on over to the transport ship to see if Games Master Steven Smart will take a break from feeding bananas to his Mutaba-ridden capuchin and tell us who won this week. No, Andy, give us more backstory. <laughs> <laughs> I like my backstory. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait, one of these days. <laughs> one of these days, Pete. <laughs> you know, we didn't we didn't even talk about my uh, Instagram addiction right now. I saw the monkey today. I'm so addicted to, to Prisma. It's a cool little thing. Is it's, that a, its own separate app or is it something in Instagram? I haven't it, even looked. No, no, no. It's its own app. And it's just, it's like the first time. I'm not usually into these art filters, but this app is really good. Go to find Prisma. You download it. And then, uh, so, and then I have been posting my favorite movie posters uh, as Prisma artifacts in my Instagram feed that Rash Pixel. So uh, if anybody's interested in Prisma movies, hashtag Prisma movies or hashtag Prisma posters, you can contribute. Uh, the good Ben Lott has already started contributing uh, his own Prisma movie posters. I just love it. So we need more Prisma movie posters uh, at, on the next reel. So uh, that's people should do that. Every crappy movie poster undoubtedly looks better when uh, it's done through Prisma. That is it. That is actually, that's the thing. There are some great, some great Prisma. And it's still kind of new. Like when I jumped on it, there were only, it was only a couple of Russian guys who had done a few, uh, like a dozen of these things. And so uh, it, it's kind of fun to, 
to you know be the only guy in a hashtag for a while. But everybody I should else s- should jump in. It's really cool. And then I should start a new uh, page on our uh, Pinterest page of, of all of the movie posters, but redone with, with Prisma. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, oh, for crying out loud. Let's let Stephen Smart tell us about uh, our other Instagram thing. Go, Stephen. Hey, guys. This week's movie was The Wanderers from 1979, directed by Philip Kaufman and starring Ken Wow and Karen Allen. Congrats to at FegFay, who guessed it on Image 5. You're entered once again into the 2016 Pony Prize hat. As always, a new challenge starts on Monday. So thanks, guys, and see you later. You know, uh, old Ben Lott, he wrote us He wrote <laughs> us with the blot spot this week about our, uh, our latest uh, disease film, The Crazies. So far, we're not on a winning streak with Ben. <laughs> no, we are not. The Crazies was bad. I mean, worse than Omega Man level of bad. No good actors. No good dialogue. No good effects. Who are we supposed to like in this movie? Captain Unibrow and his clueless girlfriend? I didn't like anyone in the film and was delighted when it ended. Sorry, guys, but never fear. My opinion can only go up from here. Your rank 233, my rank 237. Bottom of the barrel. You know, we should say, I mean, we're we're fair... Fairly similar in rankings there. We're not far off. No, but I think that at least we had some enjoyment with it. I think that's the difference. Is it? I I recognize that it's bad, but I also find some uh, some sheer joy in watching yeah. uh, Romero's movies. Little a little joy, just a little a, joy. a little joy, a little joy. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right, Andy. Let's do trailers. <laughs> It's been a it's been a big trailer week, Pete. It's been such a trailer week, Andy. <laughs> it's uh, with Comic Con going on. Holy cow! It uh, was just uh, you know trailers falling from the sky. And and you know what? There isn't a bad one among them. I'm going to say that out loud. I agree. I'm thrilled by every single one I've yeah. seen. How do you? How did you go about selecting your trailer this week? With, uh, I, given the I, given the choice, I picked the one that I am kind of most excited. Uh, excited for all right that's good it's wonder that is, woman it's yeah. exciting i'm very excited for wonder woman uh patty jenkins new film that uh, is a continuation in the dc universe that is going to uh, give us a little bit of uh, diana prince aka wonder woman and his uh, journey to help steve trevor in uh, it looks like wwii yeah you're is supposed it? to i don't I, you don't need to say i i you could just say two I like saying I I. <laughs> okay. Like the little animal, you know. Yeah, no, oh, like the I I. <laughs> like the I I. Okay. All right. Skipper. I I skipper. <laughs> WWII skipper. Yeah. Now right. it's just going now bananas it's just here. Now, now it's, it's just, just not even a it's thing. It's just dumb. So I am really excited to see this. I think I'm hoping that this is the film that DC um, needs to make in their superhero universe that really kind of sets everything right for all the people who have been disappointed with the films thus far, including partially me. I mean, I have not been really a fan of any of the Superman films. I am kind of on the on the BVS Doge fence as far as uh, enjoying that one enough to kind of uh, call it passable. Um, but this one, 
everything about the trailer looks like they're doing it right. Like this is the sort of trailer that sells a superhero. It looks interesting. There's a lot of intrigue. There's action. There's characters that excite me. There are great actors in the parts. Uh, There are great moments of like heroism that you kind of see in just iconic images. Everything about it just got me just all goose pimply, if I can say that. Sounds disgusting. Well, you did. I did. <laughs> I went there. Uh, I am just really thrilled by everything they did here. And uh, I feel like this is the movie that if DC had started their superhero uh, films with this, that maybe people would view them as a little more of a threat to Marvel. This just seems to be that movie. Yeah. And I really hope it does. I mean, Gal Gadot looks great, of course. Chris Pine, um, who we caught very briefly in that photo in uh, BVS Doge. Uh, Robin Wright comes up as uh, General Antiope. Connie Nielsen as Queen Hippolyta. David Thewlis is in it. Lucy Davis, who I just love from uh, the British The Office and uh, Shaun of the Dead, um, pops up briefly in the trailer right toward the end there. Ewan Bremner, Danny Houston, Saeed Tagmoudi. And I just, I mean, it's a fantastic cast. Uh, you know, everybody in it's uh, just really interesting. And I'm just thrilled by everything in this because it looks like something that is going to be fun. My, my one little uh, fear is that Wonder Woman is going to be like Superman, the sort of character who really nothing can hurt her. And I'm, I'm curious. I, I just don't know enough about all like the Wonder Woman comics and who her the bad guys are in her world. So I'm really curious to kind of get a another trailer down the line and get a little more of a hint of who is the baddie in this story. Yeah, right, right. Me too. And and uh, um, it is certainly the thing I'm most curious about because so many of her stories overlap with, I mean, they are the big three, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman of the DC universe. And, and um, uh, so I know... Peripherally, many of the baddies overlap in some in the modern era, uh, but I don't know enough detail about that to actually be able to predict, you know, who we're going to be up against in this story. I really like. I'm I'm with you. I really like that they're actually setting this uh, at least to start in World War II. Um, you know, I, they sort of had to to in, to give us an origin story that connects Steve Trevor because he. He was, uh, uh, you know, Air Corps officer whose plane went down, and uh, in and he first appeared in 1942. You know, in the in the comic, and right. so so I think that's I, they could have done they could have modernized it, and I'm so glad they didn't. But then again, I think I'm the guy who really loved the fact that they didn't modernize Captain America: The First Avenger. Uh, and so I, I worry a little bit that people aren't going to connect as much to Wonder Woman in the same way they didn't connect to the first Avenger, which, which I was just delighted by. I love it, though. I thought it looked great. And, and we get lasso action. We get such lasso action. <laughs> that was so great. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I think it's just wonderful that, that DC is actually, I mean, when you look at in, in terms of just the, the kind of relative progressiveness of the lineup, uh, I, I think it's great that one of the big three is finally this, I mean, this woman character that we finally get to uh, to see on the big screen that that really, you know, takes this leadership role. And I think Marvel is, is you know, a little bit short in their um, kind of A team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that front. I mean, I showed my daughter this and she was like, yeah, she's a badass. Right, uh, exactly. So that's, that's just what I wanted to see. And we get a little dose of Elena Anaya, I forgot to mention in the cast in this. It looks like she's, I think she's the one who's kind of got that little half face mask, like a little Phantom yeah. of the Opera thing going on. Um, she was in The Skin I Live In for Almodovar. 
And actually, she's uh, in the Infiltrator right now. She she popped up in that as uh, as oh, uh, yeah as uh, a uh, a character in there. So um, another character that uh, that excited me in the trailer, and just because of that mask, it made me wonder if um, she is a baddie or at least working for the baddie. She looked baddie. And Danny Houston looked kind of baddie too, not yeah. baddie, but <laughs> definitely there's some baddie stuff going on. That's the truth. Yeah, but this comes out, uh, this is going to be a big June explosion next year. So this is a very early full trailer, actually. It's not even a teaser to be a year out. But this is kind of spreading, uh, kind of exploding in early June. Uh, Opens here June 2nd, and then it continues around the world until uh, the end of June. But uh, everyone is going to see it that month next year. Awesome. Yep. Awesome, awesome. Well, Andy, let me do my trailer then. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it. We sort of, uh, I think we we teased this last uh, last week. Oh yes, we did uh, because of the 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 great uh, Lynn Lowry who was in mm-hmm. both of the crazies, and we in in our research we stumbled upon a, a film that she has in development uh, called Sky Sharks, and even maybe because of the incredible wealth of trailers that dropped this week and the fact that I just couldn't choose, I'm going to share with you all the trailer for Sky Sharks. And this is some, you should probably go watch this before you watch Wonder Woman. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's that important. Deep in the ice of the Arctic, a team of geologists uncover an old Nazi laboratory still intact where dark experiments had occurred. In order to conquer the world, the Nazis created modified sharks who were able to fly and whose riders are genetically mutated undead superhumans. A military task force called Dead Flesh 4, reanimated U.S. soldiers who fell in Vietnam, is put together to prevent world downfall. That's right. Uh, you may remember that from last week. That is what Sky Sharks is all about. This movie seems to have everything, if by everything... <laughs> You mean sharks with jet engines on their fins and guns, and they fly through the air and eat planes, and they are ridden by zombies. And, and Hitler's in there, too. Hitler's in here. There's a whole Nazi thing going on, and Lynn Lowry plays a nun. I don't even I don't even know what else to say about the film. I, I actually, I'm not sure I there any, it doesn't need any more of yeah. that. That sells her. Right. I feel like I may that may be it. That may be everything you need to know. So go check out Sky Sharks, Andy. Uh really, I mean, your reaction. I I am very thrilled to have watched the trailer for it because <laughs> it's so absurd. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. The whole concept, everything about it is just dumb, dumb, dumb. But I, I don't know. It's just one of those things that you watch it and you're like, well, as dumb as that was, it looks like so stupid that it was really fun to watch. The trailer. Yeah. I can't say the same about the whole film, but the trailer actually had me laughing the whole time. Look, occasionally these gems cross our path, and all I have to say to you is Kung Fury. And <laughs> there maybe, you go. maybe to Kung Fury you might respond, Wolf Cop. I'm just saying, there are movies <laughs> that have crossed our paths. I hope, I hope beyond hope, that Sky Sharks enters the ranks of Wolf Cop and Kung Fury. Here, here. September 1st, 2017. Andy, what are you, dumb or something? You just told the people how to... Oh, I get it. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured. Bound for a pet store in America, the animal carries 
a deadly virus. Now, I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps the world, is in our hands. We cannot, we dare not refuse this burden. I'm confident that each of you will do his duty. God forgive us. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. We got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. If that bug gets out of there, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam, I want to stay with these people same as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. Wolfgang Peterson, Andy. Wolfgang brings brings us this uh, story of the extreme measures that are necessary to contain an epidemic of a deadly airborne virus and the conspiracy that surrounds it with 1995's Outbreak. It's, of course, starring Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr., Morgan Freeman, Donald Sutherland, and the young Patrick Dempsey as Jimbo Scott. Uh, among other fantastic cast members, all brought together. These are fantastic people. Generally, in their own right, they are fantastic people, and they came together in this movie. Now, this of of the movies that we have talked about, I think this is the first one that that centers primarily on the disease itself, right? The procedural kind of disease. Well, I guess that's not true. No. Andromeda strained it too, uh, and so that's one of the things I really like about it, right? That it, it centers on the disease fighting itself and not and and on the outcome second you know what i'm saying yeah like we don't have the crazies running around zombie driven right i mean this yeah, is right, right. this is this is uh this is much more along the lines of a police procedural of kind of un, you know shoe leather research and we're we're you know finding the monkey and we're finding the antibodies and it's it's all about the investigation how did it hit you um i was really disappointed <laughs> This go around. I remember liking this film when it came out in 95. I uh, thought it was uh, fun. It was energetic. I hadn't seen it since. So this was the first time in quite a while. And this go around, I just, uh, I mean, it starts well. I think the first act for the most part, I mean, it it certainly had some issues, but for the most part, um, I enjoyed the characters. The setup of the story was interesting. Um, and then by the time we get to the second act, I just, I mean, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, and this is the point where everyone becomes an idiot. It's like everybody, it's like, I mean, I understand the, the idea of a film where you are, um, you're showing how these sorts of things can really happen and how an outbreak can actually happen. But to do that, do, do they need to make everybody just doing really dumb things? It just, oh, I just, it just infuriated me. I just kept getting so irritated about every little thing that happened. It's like, oh, really? Somebody's going to do that? Oh, of course. Of course, Patrick Dempsey's girlfriend is going to just completely make out with him in the airport, even though he looks at death's door. I mean, she was, she was a, dis- she was more disgusted 
disgusting than he was. Like she's she it's like she looked at him, she saw that he was toppling over and she sucked upon his face. Right. And then when they broke uh, broke apart, she looked at him and goes like, "Babe, what's the matter?" <laughs> right. It's like uh, Right. I, I felt like she was Velma from Scooby-Doo and had like dropped her glasses. <laughs> you know, my glasses. Where are my glasses? And so she just didn't see him until she was close up after making out. That's <laughs> a great that's a great parallel. <laughs> so so that was my issue with this film. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I got so frustrated with the ridiculous uh, military subplot that they infused in here to just give us more uh, more bad guys other than the virus. I felt like if they had found a way to just make it the virus itself and and these people that I, th- I feel like they could have found a way to, to make that work. But by boosting up the thriller aspect of it and having the military have this whole conspiracy to hide this virus as the perfect biological weapon and all this nonsense, um, introducing us to the ridiculous uh, character played by Donald Sutherland. Uh, you know, it, the film just really kind of unraveled for me. And I mean, it's it's energetic. It moves quickly. It certainly uh, had life to it that uh, Wolfgang Peterson brought to the table. But that being said, it was, it was much uh, lower in my uh, in my desire and my like factor after watching it this this round, that's the uh, that's pretty much the thing. I I, I found myself uh, I really enjoyed the first act, m- most of it. I I enjoy the banter between the the characters as they're trying to figure it out. I think Dustin Hoffman is um, he he's obviously he's Dustin Hoffman. Like generally, I love Dustin Hoffman. I I don't know that he was really the right cast for this Kevin Spacey really was I mean I I really enjoyed him as kind of a he he wasn't the award-winning kind of character but I think he he was which surprised me we can talk about that in a bit uh but uh, uh I really enjoyed generally the team anything about the team I think Cuba Gooding Jr. was a great stoic uh I think he was fun to watch I think I I really enjoy them researching this and when it just it comes so far off the rails by the time they get into the great helicopter chase, I'm considering this film a personal affront. Like, it is <laughs> it is insulting that they take this film that was a, a great sort of science medical investigation and turn it into the cheapest of the cheap action films. Like, it, it totally undoes any good intent that it had built up in the first act. Well, and I, I just want to... Um take a a break real quick and kind of look at the origin of this, because I think it's actually quite interesting. It is. We're probably going to talk about this later, but uh, this, there was at the time, there was a, a a nonfiction article written by Richard Preston in the New Yorker in 92 called crisis in the hot zone. Um, It chronicled the story of how the government believed a deadly virus had entered the United States. Later uh, Preston expanded this into the 1995, uh, 1995 book, the hot zone. And uh, there was a huge bidding war between movie studios to get the rights to this book. Um, 20th Century Fox ended up winning it and producer Linda Opst uh, was the the person behind it. And really it was because they had the understanding they, um, she was a woman and that a lead female character, they felt that Linda would be able to um, pay it the respect that it deserved. Um, the person who was bidding against this was Arnold Copelson, who was really upset that he didn't win. And so he said, I'm going to make my own virus movie. So there, 
This is how you get things like Armageddon and, and uh, Deep Impact or, or uh, you know, the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman and uh, the mi- uh, Mirror Mirror. And you get these kind of competing things. You get these different people kind of upset at each other or whatever it is that they end up creating these things. So, so while Linda Opst was trying to get um, Crisis in the Hot Zone off the ground, um, she had Ridley Scott set to direct it. Jodie Foster was set to play the lead. Uh, Arnold Copelson starts spinning his own script. It, it, he got this spec script written by Lawrence Dwart and Robert Roy Poole, um, who were kind of hot uh, spec writers at the time. They had a, an unproduced script called The Ultimatum that was making its way around Hollywood, and Spielberg was attached, and all sorts of things were happening with that. So Copelson got this script from them. Um, he bought it, had Ted Talley, who wrote Silence of the Lambs, come on board and do some rewrites to give it more of a thriller edge. I have a feeling that's the whole military subplot that was thrown in. in, And he even went so far as to actually offer Ridley Scott the chance to direct this, even though Scott was on this other project. And of course, Scott was uh, rather pissed at him for that offer. So meanwhile, while he starts his um, wheels turning on his project, Linda is still trying to get Crisis in the Hot Zone off the ground. so they've got this, uh, you know, Fox is getting concerned because it's like the cost keeps going up. They feel, you know, this is Hollywood. They need a strong male lead to play opposite this strong female lead. So they rewrite uh, a part as an environmentalist for Robert Redford to play. So he comes on board. Uh, Jodie Foster gets upset because now she says her part's getting too small. So they rewrite the script. And Robert Redford then complains that his part is getting too small. And they can't uh, compromise. And so both of the actors end up leaving the project, which has just escalated to the point where at this point they haven't even made anything. It's already $45 million. <laughs> so Copelson so <laughs> um, gets his movie out and and Obst doesn't. She tries to get it restarted with Robin Wright Penn, uh, hot on the heels from getting nominated for Forrest Gump for Golden Globe, then with Emma Thompson. But by then, Outbreak was out and nobody was interested in it anymore. And that is the, uh, the film that might have been more interesting. But uh, here we sit talking about Outbreak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... There you go. Such is the pains of Hollywood uh, production rights. This is—it's a mess. It ends up being a complete mess. Yes, um, indeed. The, and and you know the the movie falls prey to some of the uh, some of the challenge of portraying these films is is that it's hard to dramatize something that usually takes place over weeks and months and maybe years, and to make it seem intense and also believable over the course of two hours, right? That's really hard to do. And that's why most of these plague movies end up being some sort of horror movie because, you know, you get something like 28 Days Later or you get something like, uh, um, you know... uh, was it Shaun of the Dead? You know, where you get these movies. That, obviously, that was a comedy, but where you are are infected, and then in 12 seconds, like World War Z, you become this crazed maniac. Um, that is largely because it's hard to dramatize the time to cure. And the CDC actually has said that the biggest problem with these outbreak films, because the CDC needs some press, I guess, <laughs> is the compression of time to cure. That that in fact, outbreak in the first act, it it, it does a pretty good job of of using Ebola as Motaba's inspiration. Uh, and and there is an accurate depiction of transmission rates, although, and, and this is a quote, again, uh, from the CDC, though viruses mutate all the time, it would be very unlikely to see one mutate in a way that changed how it is transmu- transmitted, uh, and that's referring specifically to bloodborne to airborne so quickly um, that, you know, 
this film falls prey to those very same tropes, even though they maintain at least the veneer of being a procedural trying to come up with the cure in spite of all the action and military intrigue going on around it. It's it's hard to to you know to make it feel dramatic and and inspirational when people are just they're just dying because it takes weeks and months to come up with a cure and you can't find it in the antibody in just a monkey that's hanging out in the redwoods so um, well and and to that point also um, the whole idea that they had to introduce some form of mystery by having this mutation and the fact that both forms of it are in the same monkey i mean i was reading stuff and they're like there's no way that yeah. uh, that a monkey who would you know scratch these two men would infect one guy with one and the other guy with the other. It's just it was just nonsensical. Yes. It wouldn't happen that way. So, but it's it's all this is this is kind of um, you know I the whole idea of Hollywoodizing reality to kind of broaden the appeal for the mass market so that they can maximize the amount of money that they end up making on the film, and that's. Yeah. I mean, and and that's really what they have to do, and you know, and it's the unfortunate part of the Hollywood machine is you know it costs money to make these films, and they have to figure out a way to make money back. Well, that's right, and and really, I mean, specifically in this genre, now that we're talking about a film that I think is you know this and the Andromeda Strain are great examples of just how the cards are totally stacked against these stories in terms of making them real and dramatic and exciting at the same time. You have to if if you are going to enjoy these films, there are things you have to let go, and the degree to which the film enables you to let those things go in in a believable way is is you know the difference between you know, success and, and failure. So um, I, I just think that's that's the the frame through which I'm looking at this fil- film, this viewing, and it, it didn't hold up in my view. Yeah, I'm curious to get to Contagion, which was going to be the final film in this series, and look at that one, because I feel like my memory of it is it does do all of that, where it takes just a regular old virus and, and spreads it across um, spreads the story out across a number of different people right. in different uh, different kind of areas where they are dealing with the the virus in different ways. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how that holds up as a script because it certainly is not an action thriller. You know, that's no. definitely more of kind of a, a dramatic thriller, if anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember. Uh, you know, I don't remember Contagion well. Uh, but in just looking at at researching the films in this series, it always comes up as just slightly better than uh, than Outbreak, where it really succeeds in uh, you know in being a better movie about disease. Uh, it it fails in that it's it's uh, much slower and not as as engaging and exciting. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited to, to look see. at it again. I don't remember it very well. So yeah, anyway, did it. back to Outbreak. Did it. You know, when it came out, uh, some people liked it, some people didn't. It wasn't universally loved. It certainly um, was popular. It, uh, it did well for itself. But, um, you know, it's it's just, it's an interesting, interesting little film. I found it so interesting that Wolfgang Peterson, of all people, um, directed it. Because, my I mean, the first question I had in my head was, this is the guy who did Das Boot? Yeah. And, and here he is doing this. I mean, that's just like such an astounding film. And uh, and here he's doing this. But then if you look at his output from the time he came to Hollywood, it really fits with uh, everything that he kind of did. I mean, from 84, uh, when he did his first Hollywood film, Never Ending Story, which I love, um, he hasn't done a lot. He did that, Enemy Mine, Shattered, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, 
Troy, and Poseidon. Mm -hmm. So not a lot, but um, and 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 I look at that, and as much as I really enjoy some of them and find some of them incredibly middling, um, and then some I just I haven't seen, but they all seem very Hollywood to me. And I'm not familiar with his his rather extensive career in Germany before he came over here. Um, so I can't say if he just kind of totally uh, became a Hollywood type of director. I mean, maybe he was doing Hollywood type of films in Germany. Um, but the films that I see here are very Hollywood. And, you know, I, I guess that's fine. It's just it makes me less inclined to um, seek out his films. Well, I yeah, I mean, you you mentioned In the Line of Fire and Air Force One and Perfect Storm. Like, I liked all of those movies. Um, I didn't like Troy and Poseidon is Poseidon. Um, but in in terms of the string of films, uh, I didn't I didn't actually see Shattered. But In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One, Perfect Storm. You know, three for four is not bad over the course no. of seven years. And I and no, I'm and I'm not saying he made bad films. I'm just saying he made very Hollywood films. Although I think yeah. The Perfect Storm actually was not as successful as it could have been, specifically because it wasn't Hollywood enough. Well, it was very Hollywood, it I had felt. The big, it just, it, it had the big cast, but it did not have the Hollywood ending. Well, it didn't have a Hollywood ending, but I mean, you know, that's the nature of that particular story. I mean, I don't think there was another way you could have made that story. Well, it, and so. it would have been a lie. It would have been, it would have been <laughs> it would the have been imperfect storm. A, a, a fiction so much for making it perfect, <laughs> right? A true story. Uh, anyway, all right. And, and so, I will say, I actually really enjoyed Enemy Mine. That was one of my uh, teenage year films that I just uh, I loved. I haven't seen it in forever. Don't, Maybe it's terrible. Don't. But man, did I love that movie when I was young. I couldn't get through the first half hour of it. I tried to watch it with my kids. That and and you're gonna hate me for this because I have such strong feelings for this too. The Last Starfighter. Oh my god, it was so boring. We tried to watch it like six months ago, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get anybody uh, to sit still for you're it. You're a terrible person. I I, I, I love that film. Yeah, man. Nah. So there. No, don't watch it. Fine. Call it a guilty pleasure if you will. Oh, you're guilty. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Dwarrett and Robert Roy Poole are the uh, uh, folks behind the script of Outbreak. What do we? Think yeah, Dwarrett was a Dwarrett was a doctor. He went to medical school and. Uh, the you know the old story where you know he uh, uh, wanted to be a writer but didn't think he'd make a writer and director didn't think he'd make any money so became a doctor and then <laughs> oh you used know his, that old song <laughs> and then used his uh, the money he made as an ER doctor uh, to go to film school and he ended up I mean he he did real really well for himself in school his script was like the the UCLA I uh, was at the Samuel Goldwyn Award the best script um, that the students wrote that year and. And he and his uh, pool, his writing partner, um, did write that script, The Ultimatum, that uh, got lots of buzz for them. But if you look at their credits, I mean, I think this speaks to the way that the industry works. Not much there. You know, it's hard for a writer to break in and become somebody who's doing things. Um, there's just very few credits to his name. In fact, nothing since this. And uh, Poole uh, at least has some a story credit on Armageddon. Um, but, um, that's also, I mean, he's got a film coming out, uh, Angels in the Sky next year, but yeah, these guys kind of dropped, dropped off the map. Makes me wonder if, uh, Dorrit ended up just going back to the ER and, and gave up on his Hollywood dreams. You know, there is, that, that's one of those things. I wonder if we could find Dorrit because I would love to talk to him about this very question. How did the end happen to this movie Be with a beginning that was as interesting as it was? That yeah, I right. think is a great open question. 
I'd love to read the script before I think it was Ted Talley came in to do the rewrites. I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, Wolfgang Peterson at the time called this film Jaws of the 90s, <laughs> which I'm not exactly sure what he was going for. If he was just trying to make it sound uh, bigger and more thrilling or he's just trying to, I don't know, make the virus sound more scary whatever it was. It was an interesting little thing. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, you know, the big scary thing, but it's not like great white sharks were this big thing that everyone was afraid of in the seventies, right. you know, but at the time that this came out, I mean, there was an, an actual outbreak of Ebola going on in, in yeah. Zaire. And uh, there were many people dying. And so it was definitely fresh in people's minds. It was something people were thinking about. So to that extent, I, I think you could say, sure, it's something that was scaring people at the time. Thing is, you don't have Jaws if you don't have the scene uh, where the townspeople are crazy and Robert Shaw scratches his fingernails on the chalkboard. There is none of that, <laughs> you all know me. You know how I make a living. I'll catch your motaba. <laughs> like, that's not a... That's not a compelling thing. There's, <laughs> I want a isn't Robert that, Shaw. Isn't that, I, I think that was Dustin Hoffman's moment when he was saying, finger on the phone, finger on the phone. <laughs> that was so stupid. That's the moment. That it was the was, Robert Shaw moment. You know what? The, the real moment is if you, if you think I'm crazy, drop the bomb. If you think I'm, I'm a liar, drop the bomb. They would have dropped the bomb on both two counts at the end. Like he's, <laughs> They think he's crazy and a liar. Based on all evidence, that town was gone. I'm just saying. First shot, last shot. I, uh, this is a good example of a first shot, last shot that just... Doesn't work that well. <laughs> the uh, the first shot, it's the wide shot of the jungle. And then we boom down to a, a nice close field right in front of us. And then boom, an explosion rips into it. And a monkey screams, eek! And then we see that it's a war zone. It's uh, in 1967 in Mutaba Valley in Africa. And uh, yeah, so we have this whole crisis uh, where the whole thing begins one might say. And then the last shot, of course, is Sam's face as he's smiling at Robbie, who is miraculously been healed by the, the serum that he created. And they smile at each other. They have a cute little conversation about getting back together. And then it's a very weirdly abrupt ending as uh, Sam smiles and uh, we fade to black. I got no connection unless... Sam and the monkey are supposed to be some sort of spiritual... Uh, <laughs> it's spiritual, a spirit animal. It's a spirit animal. Maybe that's it. No, it's... I mean, it's other than, you know, we're setting up for, you know, kind of the... Whatever it is, the mysterious uh, virus coming from the depths of the jungle. And then, you know, the the film ends on the heroic doctor smiling at having... Yeah having defeated it, but it's very basic. There's nothing uh, really special about the first and last shot here. They, they seem very, um, I guess, uh, safe. And, and yet, okay, so we're sort of moving out of first shot, last shot. I do have to say, after that jungle sequence, we go into the opening credit roll, and that is a, I think, particularly astute use of the long, uh, the long tracking shot to get us through something that we have found incredibly boring in movies past. Do you agree? 
Yeah, and I think what would have worked better is if we began with that and we had a great sense of kind of the science behind everything. Yep. And even when we, we meet Sam there in the lab for the first time, he's in his suit, right? Yep. And and then, so everything is very clinical, very medical, very sanitized, very safe. And then at the end, he's out of the suit and he's smiling. They've defeated this uh, this bad virus. And you have this kind of transition from the clinical side of the story to the human side of the story. Yes. I, I like that a lot more. I think that would have made so much more sense. And and in case anybody hasn't seen this in a while, the long tracking shot we're talking about is it is the shot that walks us through all of the biohazard research levels in their in the, the military infectious disease laboratory. And it goes through biohazard level one and it shows us here's what's on here's here's what you can do here. It's the flu, it's the cold, and you just pretty much need to wash your hands. Uh, and then level two, yeah, you need to wear gloves and you need to be careful. And then level three, yeah, you're probably in a suit. And they go all the way down uh, as we follow these. It's all through this long, one long tracking shot. And it is, um, I, I actually, I didn't watch it closely enough to know, is it a, a single shot or did they trick us anywhere? Uh, no, uh, I think it was a single shot. Uh, I think it, I think it, uh, it seemed pretty clean. Yeah. I didn't notice any crazy, you know, wipes on somebody passing by. Right, right. The one thing that bugged me with it, um, completely unrelated to how nice the shot itself looks, is it bugged me that I felt like uh, as we'd go from room to room, I kept seeing people like, well, why is that person not wearing a mask, but everybody else is? Why did that person just go through the door and open it? Everyone inside is in a mask, but nobody outside is. Shouldn't they have a double door? Like yeah. I kept having all these questions about, you know, just the the actual levels of sanity, uh, not sanity, um, uh, sterility that they had here. Although sanity is probably, <laughs> you know, it, for me, it was it was also the level of access control, right? There were a number of sequences where uh, this is a, a, a door that you have to use your eye, a retina scan and a palm scan. And wouldn't both people who have to prove their identity... Uh, there are sequences where, you know, one person will do it and he'll hold the door open for other people. There right. are sequences <laughs> where, you know, a, a third party is standing at the door and he'll open the door and hold it for these people to walk through. Like, it just it didn't seem like as secure as maybe all of the handprints would want us to see. But, but I did really like that. And I think in terms of first shot, last shot, that would have made this a more interesting conversation. We would have had something to compare. But opening on the jungle, I think uh, we lose all of that. Yeah, I agree. And it's it makes me uh, further question the addition of this military aspect to the story and yes. wonder just how much of that was actually in the original concept for this script. Because it just doesn't feel that whole military aspect just felt so tacked on. What's so interesting about it, though, is what I do like about the military is Dustin Hoffman plays a colonel in the military, right? He's a doctor, and he, he it's a military story. Rene Russo goes off to work for the civilian uh, organization for the CDC. That right. is a that is a, a contentious relationship, the CDC and the military. I think that's really interesting, um, and and I think they they could have had that be the conflict in this film. Uh, just in, you know, access to information and who's curing what. And I think it could have been a really interesting film without all the stupidness at the end. Anyway, Yeah, I, I agree. I, there could have been something. It was the USAMRIID, kind of a crazy acronym yeah. for, the, for the military version of the CDC. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually, like you pointed out, a really interesting aspect. I didn't even know that uh, the military had their own division that, that dealt with this sort of stuff. Dustin Hoffman, he plays Colonel Sam Daniels. 
this was a, a role originally intended for Harrison Ford, um, who I guess when he didn't take it, he went and did Air Force One with Wolfgang. Yeah, I guess so, which we was did a little shortly shuffle. after this, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um I you know, Dustin Hoffman again, I I I like Dustin Hoffman. I always have. I think he's a fantastic uh, performer. This movie, he's such a low talker. <laughs> I get so annoyed. I the number of times I said speak up, like speak stop mumbling, stop doing your thing. You're well, doing he's probably still thing. had he had mumbles in his head still from Dick Tracy. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> or or he had read later, the script. But... Uh, actually, yeah, right. is the other. What did you think of Dustin? Any comments? Uh, you know, I, I I didn't have the mumbly uh, uh, problem with him. I thought he was fine, but again, um, I you know, and I I don't know if it's a huge issue or not. But I mean, there definitely were some of those kind of comedic lines that that were that just felt to me like. They had to plug something in that just helped define his character a little more, you know, like the finger on the phone, finger on the phone. And the way he there were at least two times in the film where he pulled his military cred uh, to kind of lie to somebody to get past them. Right. And, I, you know, the by the first time I was like, all right, here he goes yeah. doing this whole old thing. And by the second time, I'm like, oh, God, again, couldn't they come up with something else? Because he does it to get on the to change direction for the plane the first time and then to get on the helicopter the second time. Yeah. Uh, so there were moments like that that I felt like could have been stronger for him. Um, you know, I mean, I, he was fine. I, I love Dustin Hoffman. He's always uh, he's always a great actor to watch. And he carries the film well. I mean, he knows how to carry a film. Totally. This is certainly something that he does well here. It's just, uh, you know, I just, I think that the the level of the film is below him. Yep. Agreed. How about Rene Russo? I just love her and I wish she was in more things. Yep. Yep, she's just yep. so flipping great, and she's beautiful, and she she carries it well. She, she is can... strong and yep. interesting, and funny and smart, and oh my goodness! And, and you know, I mean, I feel like the only thing I've seen her in lately uh, is well, she was in Thor. She was, I think, Thor's mom. Yep, uh, in a in a just a you know throwaway. snoozer of a role, throwaway role. But she was in Nightcrawler, and she was so good. Right. She was fantastic. Uh, you know, her and Jake both should have been nominated for that film. Oh, and I guess she was just in The Intern, actually, yeah, last year. Yeah, that's I, true. I didn't, I didn't uh, see, see it. that. But yeah, I didn't realize she was actually in that. But um, she's one of those actresses that uh, pops up in stuff. And I wish that there were always more things she was popping up in because I have a great, great time watching her. And she's just she's just great. I mean, she's a really interesting actress and uh, carries herself well, and I think that she portrays a lot of strength. And uh, she does a great job here. Uh, my my big complaint doesn't really even fall on her shoulders, but it's the fact that Kevin Spacey gets the virus. He's covered in pus and open wounds and everything. When she gets the virus, she just gets a little light, light pink. <laughs> she does. She looks so good. And maybe a couple of little zits. <laughs> right. I don't, even, I don't even know about that. I think they, uh. the blemish cream worked well. Well, uh, okay, yes. so did you think the, um, uh, I and, and I don't think that this is the case, but did you think that the dogs were forced between uh, Dustin and Renee? Did you think that was a forced element? Yeah, it was some el- they needed some element to get him over to her house, yep. you know. 
I actually liked it because I thought the dogs were such great characters, and I'm a dog person in general. Like that, I love the dogs in the bath, and I loved. Yep. I actually really loved his interaction because I find myself talking to the dog. I'm sure how who doesn't talk to dogs when they're alone, you know? Like, <laughs> and it's not like just oh, cute doggy, like you do when other people are around. It's like, do you want to eat a sandwich? Like, you know, yep, talk right, to dogs right. like they're people, this sort of anthropomorphizing thing. And I think he does that. He pulls that off, and it just reminds me so much of me. I thought it was a great character bit. And I love that that's the thing between them in the in the beginning of the movie, that if you're not home in time, the dogs come with me, right? I mean, that's right, right. that's I think that's a great um, uh, relationship negotiation. So anyway, it worked for me. Yeah, uh, it was fine. It, it, yeah, it worked. Morgan Freeman. Yeah... I, yeah. I'm glad that he had, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption before this <laughs> to really uh, cement his career. Uh, this is one of those movies that I'm like, why are you in this one, Morgan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, the same thing, Donald Sutherland. Why are you in this? Well, Donald Sutherland takes pretty much everything. He does. I mean, he says, yes, this is so bad. So anyway, Morgan Freeman is Brigadier General Billy Ford, Donald Sutherland Major General Donnie McClintock and they are the characters we meet in the jungle in the very beginning. Uh, turns out they had discovered the Mataba virus uh, long before, and this herein lies the the uh, the conspiracy. They are keeping the Mataba virus as a uh, as a weapon, and they are not helping anybody in this village uh, apart from potentially helping them uh, to break free of the mortal coil as the disease spreads. I think they're both incredibly weak characters. Stupid, stupid characters. Uh, they they just don't hold up uh, uh, what could have been an important leg of this story. Yeah, I mean, they give Morgan Freeman the uh, the actual he he his character is the change character in this film. He is the one who we see transform over the course of the film because of the efforts that. Uh, Sam is making to stop this virus. We finally see that, see that change take place. But, you know, I had disliked him for so long, I didn't care at all that he changed. It's, you know, it, it felt one of those things where it's like, well, of course he's going to change because he has to change. And it just yep. was, it just was bad, bad, bad. That was really weak writing. His character, um, it's interesting because even though he has the change, his character felt as cardboard and stereotypical as uh donald sutherland's character both yes, of them yeah felt, and, and there's no yeah. softening after the turn right after he changes and it's all it all comes out we still don't like him we, he's yeah, still no. ridiculous and cardboard yep um so uh and donald sutherland does have the the most ridiculous line in the movie i mean am i the only <laughs> one who's just, like i felt like you weren't <laughs> laughing hard enough when i said that earlier it's no, so I, bad it is terrible. It's a terrible line, and and I was laughing on the inside, but it, it's a terrible, terrible line, and it's just one of those. I, I you know, it's just I couldn't fathom that his character would actually say that because everything about the action was so obvious to begin with. I mean, Morgan Freeman's saying of the line, the way that he delivered it, everything about it was like, yes. Are are you really thinking that he's dumb? Because it's like I could. I could see what he was doing there. It was so bad. It's, doesn't it, though, doesn't it feel like, like, tell me this, you're watching the the outtakes reel of this thing, and you see Donald Sutherland come up and get in Morgan Freeman's face and say, geez, Billy, are you dumb or something? And then they both crack. Yeah, that, right, exactly. That's what it felt like to me without the crack. Like, it's an outtake. It's so stupid. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. 
All right. Kevin Spacey, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Casey Schuler, uh, he gets the the grossest death. Well, the grossest of the characters that we like. Apparently that was worth some nominations for stuff. Yeah, I, you know, it really perplexed me. I mean, this was a big year for Kevin Spacey. This was kind of a, a, I guess you would call it a breakout year. I mean, this is the year that he had seven he had the usual suspects. He had swimming with sharks. He was, um, and then he was in this. It was a very busy time for him, and uh, you know, people caught on and really loved everything that he was doing. And he ended up getting just a crazy, uh, like at least four nominations. He got um, a let's let me find the thing here. He got the Broadcast uh, Film Critic Association Award uh, for Best Supporting Actor, and he tied with Ed Harris. And uh, he got a an L.A. Uh, Film Critics Association Award. Se- well, second place. But um, it was because of this Seven Usual Suspects Swimming with Sharks. Um, he got second place at the National Society of Film Critics Awards for Supporting Actor for All the Same Films. New York Film Critics Award. He actually won Best Supporting Actor, again, for all the films. And Society of Texas Film Critic Award. He won Best Supporting Actor, again, for his body of work in this period of time. So yeah, it's interesting that, um, I, I guess it's because he had done so many different things in, in yeah. every case here. It's because he did a lot. Um, well, and I just, can, I can weird. see that. I can see that happening, but it feels so much like if you're going to acknowledge the guy for, for the body of, of work, right. For the, because there are films in there that he did some great work in that you, you just, just acknowledge the great work. Um, yeah, right. Why do you have to acknowledge it, everything? Right, because there's <laughs> nobody in this film that is deserving of an award, right? No, nobody. not at all. No, not at all. And his bit here, it just, it felt um, like Kevin Spacey light. You know, yeah. it's like his performance is everything I've seen before. Yep. It's nothing new or exciting. So, yeah. I mean, he was fine, but yeah, it just, it didn't wow me. And all those awards kind of surprised me. Cuba Gooding Jr. This is, I, I think this is where... Um, this is where I saw him for the first time. I don't think I'd seen him in anything else. It wasn't A Few Good Men? So this is immediately after I saw him in A Few Good Men, is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I totally forgot that. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't remember any of the, I didn't even remember this until I watched it again uh, over, over Jerry Maguire, um, which was certainly his breakout. Did you see uh, Boys in the Hood? Because mm-hmm. yep. he was in that in 91. Yeah, I guess he was in that. So you are systematically uh, <laughs> unraveling my uh, statement, which is great. I love and that. He was he was boy getting haircut in coming to America. <laughs> oh, central role. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, it was a very Andy. prominent boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually thought, and I know you're gonna make a you're gonna make a crack, but I actually thought his performance was a, was more notable than Kevin Spacey. Well, I mean, he had a little bit more of a change. I mean, Kevin Spacey, I mean, he dies, and I guess he has to suffer through that. But I mean, at least a major salt goes through an an actual transformation, you know, over the course of the story, although it's fairly quickly, I guess. But you see Cuba throws up in his mask. He throws up in his mask, right. That's a nom And and then he gets all teary. He gets all teary-eyed because he's dealing with uh, his feelings. (laughs) And then he's just like super pilot. Well, yeah, because he's obviously trained as a medic and as a combat helicopter pilot. <laughs> of course. Yeah, a lot of simulator hours is what that yes, is. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, Patrick Dempsey, uh, McDreamy, of course, is in the film. He's the guy who melts in the airport while kissing his girlfriend. Meh. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it was one of those parts where I'm like, I, I don't know why they uh, they felt the need to cast a known face. But then, was you he remember, a known face by then? Well, I mean, he had been in stuff. I mean, I think his this was, I think, shortly after his uh, what was his big breakout? It was uh, Can't Buy Me Love, right? Uh, was that that was before this? That was eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah. <laughs> so it was wow. a few years. It was a few so years before old. this. But I mean, he had been in a lot of a lot of movies from there till now. I mean, yeah, you're right. Mobsters. I remember him in Mobsters uh, with honors. He had been in a lot of things. Just he was never a, a prominent character. And I think he was. I really, I think, all the way up until really uh, when he was on um, uh, Grey's Anatomy. That really was. Uh, it took him a long time to kind of find his stride. I think. Maybe the most important character in the film, Dr. Benjamin Iwabi, played by Zakes Mokai. Zakes. How do you say it? <laughs> I, I'm looking right now. Zakis Mokai. I want to find out. I want to hear you scream. Yeah, he is uh, one of those guys who's just like burned into my brain from, yeah. uh, from uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. That was great. I, I hear it as both Zakes Mokai and Zox Mokai. Yeah. Thanks to uh, howtopronounce.com. Well, uh, he's, he has a very small part in this film, but it's always fun to see his face. Small part, memorable face, and he always scares me. Yeah. Thank, thanks, and, Serpent in the Rainbow. And Dale dies, Colonel Briggs, the henchman, the military thug. Yeah, good old Dale Dye. I mean, he's one of those guys who has been a military advisor in films for a... Uh, a very long time, um, and uh, unfortunately, here he doesn't get to do doesn't get to do much. Uh, he may have done some advising, but I also just kind of kept wondering um, if he was just rolling his eyes at everything going on in here. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, were they was... were they were they really listening to him? I mean, everyone yeah. was just so dumb. I, I just I don't know. It just so dumb. <laughs> Especially the last bit, they give him the smile. You must be really enjoying this. And he yeah. just smiles. So bad. It was. really was. Um, well, we've already talked a little bit about getting it made. Cinematography, uh, Michael Bauhaus. We've talked about uh, a little bit about him before, yes? The Departed. Pretty recently, we talked about him with that. Uh, you know, he actually continued working with Wolfgang on, on Air Force One. And, uh, I mean, he'd done some, some just great things and... Uh, well, how about this? Uh, Under the Cherry Moon. That was it. That was it. <laughs> oh, Andy, that's the claim. That's his claim to fame. Of course it is. That's what made his career. <laughs> <laughs> he has had. He is a guy. He's, his uh, character. His uh, uh, career is is quite a roller coaster. I mean, from something like Under the Cherry Moon, uh, same year, The Color of Money, Glass Menagerie, Broadcast News. Uh, uh, and then into Wow, Last Temptation of Christ, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Fabulous Baker Boys. I mean, yeah, and then Goodfellas, all in a span of about six years. It's amazing. Yeah, he did a lot of lot of work with uh, with Scorsese. Yeah, Quiz Show, career. Quiz Show immediately before this, um, which was terrific. Yep, Big Sleepers uh, immediately after, which yeah. was uh, I mean, it was pretty good. Yeah, book was better. That that's the the note uh, on that I had of his. The only thing that I was interested in, you know, from the camera, 
was the opening scene, which we've already talked about, the opening camera roll, um, the long shot. Everything else was was pretty prescribed. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that really um, I caught camera-wise that I thought was worth mentioning was the POV that we had. I believe that it's just the one time when uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's character is walking in to to look at the Mutaba virus in in the uh, lab where it's locked up. And you've got the POV walking up to it before you realize yeah. that it's Morgan Freeman. And it's just like one of those eye-rolling POVs that irritated me. And I, I don't know if that was Balhaus or Peterson whose decision it was to shoot it that way, but certainly had me rolling my eyes. Weird and out of place. Uh, production design, William Sandel. You know, it, it, everything about it, uh, I, I liked the design. I loved the sets of the... Um, of the different uh, of the military, uh, what is it? USA MRIID, the you know the disease center they had. Yeah, like there's all like the pop levels. up labs and things. Yeah, I mean, I thought all of that was really interesting. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. The way that they kind of built that world and made you feel um, what it took to actually study these things. Because I mean, that you know, the quote at the beginning of the film talks about how the most deadly threat to man is the virus which I think is a, an interesting way to set this film up. And it, it certainly, in a time when Ebola was striking so many people, it certainly is something that uh, could scare people. So, um, I, yeah, I thought the production design was pretty strong. Um, I didn't have any issues with anything in it, really. It all worked well. Yeah, me too. Uh, hair and makeup, the special Motaba effects makeup uh, in particular, John Jackson and Matthew Mungle. Um, again, really, just, man, body stuff. I felt like um, I really felt like these guys probably went even farther and they toned it down for, uh, you know, again, for mass appeal. Um, You do get that great sense early on when you see the face of uh, one of our two guys, Billy or one uh, 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 Billy or whatever his name is, as they're in, you know, 1967 and they walk up to the pile of dead bodies and you just see in the face in their in the um, the glass uh, mask, you see a reflection of the body that they're looking at. And just from that, you get a sense of kind of the horror and the disgustingness of it. Yes. Um, If anything could be compared to sort of the Jaws aesthetic, that would be it. I really like the subtlety of that particular sequence. Um, But uh, in in general, then it it becomes... uh, I I think you really already pointed out, like the fact that it was so inconsistently uh, applied... Yep. Uh, and, oh, this was what I was going to say. The, the biggest problem that I have with it is that the, what they describe of the disease on the airplane when they're trying to gross out Cuba yep. is not uh, what we see. Right. Uh, I right, wanted right. to see something that gross. And, like, well, not that I want to see gross stuff, but I wanted to be shocked at that level. Uh, and they never really reached that. Well, you wanted to see them actually cut open a body and see how everything on the inside is really dissolving. Yeah, it was like melting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what they describe. And yes, it's like, do you really want to see that or you just want to imagine it? And you certainly see their reactions as they cut people open and notice yeah. that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm one of those people who I want to see those, <laughs> those <laughs> know, effects. Right? We're, we're totally so many effects. Yeah. Uh, what about costumes? Uh, Eric you Edel know, Phillips? Yeah, I thought the costumes were great. I love all these suits. Everything looked great. But I did find a, a little site that kind of went through all these different factual errors and everything. And they talk about these different suits and how the suits that these guys wear in uh, when they're dealing with these sorts of things um, in the level four uh, viral studies, they are pressurized um, suits. There's a positive pressure. So if a tear happens, 
air can only go out but not go in. And I thought that that was a, an actually really interesting fact about these suits, and it it completely debunks the whole um, the whole way that Kevin Spacey ends up getting a virus. Yeah, and um, it, it's one of those things where I, I yeah I guess it worked in context of the film, but at the same time I'm like you know I, I kind of I, I like this interesting bit of information that you he never would have been able to catch it. It would have been interesting to see him see the writers figure out a way to make him get it without having to do the tear. Yeah, it almost seems like like um I don't know, uh, maybe a little bit lazy lazy yes. writing to go for that. Absolutely. Uh, the tear in the suit. They also make a big deal about a potential tear in the suit in the very opening sequence, right? You know, hey, your suit's ripped. Oh man. Yeah, well, that was the total that. setup. Yeah, it was the total yeah. setup payoff, right? Yeah, right, right. It just it's it's the gun on the mantelpiece that we have right there. Exactly. It's like, well, we're going to get a tear in the suit later. Yeah. But oh, then well. they they already could have made good on that because she cuts herself. Uh, which I think that that actually works better, right? I mean, that's not something that that we, um, you know, when when she accidentally gets the needle through the glove, that could happen. Yeah, I, I liked that a lot better. I mean, again, at the same time, it was a little a little much. Again, I just felt like by that point, I felt like everybody was an idiot, and I just didn't need one more accident to happen. You know, it just was getting to a point of of silliness. Um, but I felt like that it was least more believable that somebody could accidentally stick themselves with a needle yeah right uh any other uh any other notes on production that you nope i don't think so i don't think mm-hmm. so uh although i was excited that uh, you found uh, the website rotary action <laughs> tell the people about it's that not, one it's not quite as good as the internet uh, firearms database uh, not quite. That, that it's not quite as interesting, <laughs> but but if you want to see uh, all of the fantastic uh, helicopters that that are showcased in this absolutely ridiculous helicopter chase, uh, you can see it at Road Reaction, where they do talk about the um, about all of the different helicopters that are uh, that are miraculously tossed about in the third act of this film. Yeah. Uh, well, from, and and at the beginning, we see helicopters. Yeah, you're right. There's throughout. helicopters throughout. So the the MD 500D, uh, which is the uh, that's the chopper that is actually the the hero chopper, right? That's the little chopper that could, uh, that that gets right in front of the bomber. Uh, there are a couple of uh, Bell 204UH1B Hueys. Um, there's uh, let's see what else. The Bell 206B Jet Ranger three. Uh, so yeah, it's good helicopter helicopter porn. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, James Newton Howard, one of our uh, one of my ten J's for composing and did the music here. I mean it's it's effective, it works in context of the film. Didn't wow me or anything, but again, it's action thriller music. I think he did fine here. We've already talked a bit about awards. Any that we didn't mention? Um, it did get nominated for a Saturn Award. That's the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Did not win. Um, also, it uh, I, oh, and then actually James Newton Howard didn't win an ASCAP Award, uh, which I thought was interesting. Although I, I wasn't quite sure what the title of the award meant. It said the award for tops top box office films. So I don't know if that's just like, you did a great job getting that movie to do well at the box office. <laughs> Not quite sure. That's the best lost leader award. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, let's see. Wolfgang Peterson won uh, a Bambi award, which I'm not sure what that means, but he won that one. And I think the only other one was that uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. was nominated Outstanding Supporting Actor um, for uh, the Image Awards. Yeah, that may be the that may be the closest to the, the making sense. Yeah, right. Uh, of the of the set. 
Yeah. Um, and what do we what do we know? Is this thing ever uh, adapted for a or, or shot up for a remake? It seems like we're getting to the point where uh, this whole storyline may be coming around again. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Ebola doesn't go away. No, so, but I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, in the in the cultural kind of gestalt, I'm seeing these these disease movies and disease series are increasing in popularity from the last ship to strain to, um, you know, this is this is a thing that we're seeing again, and it it seems to be about time, uh, particularly with Fear the Walking Dead, right? I mean, this is that's much more focused on the the impact of the disease on humanity. Um, we're getting closer and closer to another disease procedural that might be yeah, interesting. Exactly. Uh, there was talk in 2013. Uh, this was just a couple of years after Contagion hit theaters of a TV series that uh, possibly would include Wolfgang Peterson and producer Gail Katz. Um, but it uh, it seems to have fizzled out. I haven't found any traces of that uh, anywhere anymore. So I think mm. I think that the interest in disease um, is gone. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you really want it, you can find a whole lot of it. You want to find it in space. You want to find it underground. There there are, I mean, the, the, kind of the, the higher up on the dial, there are a number of series that have been the, produced that, that are current uh, that deal with crazy rampaging diseases. Um, so it, there's definitely, I think, a, a cultural draw for it right now. I think there's a good fear that, that we're leveraging well in entertainment. Um but uh, you know, I'm I'm ready for another another big movie that actually deals with the procedure of the disease. I'm ready. Well, and that's why I'm, I'm excited to talk about Contagion because I think that there is an, a level of that in that film. Yeah. And so I'm I'm curious to look at that again and then see you know where I want films to go in the yeah. world of disease from there. Um, but I thought you know, speaking of disease, I thought it'd be interesting to just uh, point a few little things out about Ebola since uh, this film. Is loosely based <laughs> you know what, on Ebola. You know what I know. What happened here is that both of us we watched this movie and got way more interested in the disease than in the film. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like maybe I should go read the Hot Zone. <laughs> yes, so good. But if Ebola is a, a viral hemorrhagic fever that uh, comes in humans and other primates caused by Ebola viruses. Signs and symptoms typically start between two days and three weeks after contracting the virus with a fever, sore throat, muscular pain, and headaches. Then vomiting, diarrhea, and rash follows, along with decreased function of the liver and kidneys. Sing it, brother. I know people begin to bleed both internally and externally. Uh, It's just all sorts of fun stuff. A high risk of death, killing between 25 and 90% of those infected I think, uh, and there's five known species of Ebola virus. Um, the first known origin of this was along the Ebola River in Zaire, which I believe is now the uh, uh, the Republic of Congo. Um, and uh, there have been a few, there, I mean, cases of Ebola have really kind of happened since it, the first outbreak in 76. Um, that outbreak uh, killed, uh, uh, you know, probably about 500 different people. Um, it, a lot of people died in that first outbreak in the 70s. Um, the second major outbreak was uh, it killed about 315, or sorry, about 254. And uh, that's the one that happened at the same time that this film was, uh, was going on. Um, but the most recent case, 2013, actually, which I don't even think I realized that this had happened. I don't know how I, it kind of skipped to my head, but it was the largest outbreak ever recorded. It began in 2013, right at the end of the year. 
affecting Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Liberia, and I think Nigeria also. There were 28,657 suspected cases and 11,325 deaths over the course from December uh, 2013 to March 2016. So that was insane how many people got Ebola during that uh, most recent uh, outbreak. Um, And, uh, you know, there have been very few cases since. So... um, I, I guess it's uh, it's interesting that this film came out at a point when you know the the death toll was two hundred fifty four. Mm. Um, now, like two thousand thirteen, you have this outbreak that killed over eleven thousand. Um, yes, I feel like we may be uh, ready for another disease film. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be time to to adjust the public scope of what these diseases could possibly do and we're going to do that through movies yes indeed (laughs) i can't wait how did do at the box office uh this film topped the box office charts when it was released it was number one for three weeks until tommy boy that a boy (laughs) (laughs) that man in a little coat (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now that i've seen that i can actually say that yeah you get the jokes Uh, there you go. But yeah, this film uh, was released March 10th, 1995. It cost $50 million to make, um, almost the budget of what uh, what they put forth trying to get Crisis in the Hot Zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, that was about uh, $76.5 million in adjusted dollars. I couldn't find any P&A information, uh, but domestically, this film made about $68 million. And internationally, about 122 million. Um, all told, it did pretty well for itself, raking in an adjusted profit per finished minute of just under 1.7 million dollars. That puts it number 34 on our list. It's pretty high on that list. Let's see how it does on the real list on <laughs> Flickchart. What do you say? Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com/slash/the-next-reel. Sign in with your account there and uh, bring up your list, and you can match right along with us. Uh, Filmo a Filmo, you're on a desert island. No judging, just these two movies. We're going to start with Outbreak versus... Oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, brother, where art thou? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Outbreak are the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, well. I'm saying Munchausen. Yeah, me too. Outbreak are gone with the wind. Oh, boy. I'm still going to say... Am I going to say Gone with the Wind? Four hours. No, I'm going to say Outbreak on this one. Even though I was really mad. I already, I feel like I exercised my anger vote uh, by picking (laughs) Munchausen. I'm definitely, I'm ready to pick Outbreak. I think I'm going to say Gone with the Wind. Really? I just feel like there's more to that film. There's, you know, I mean... Even the film, even just the scenes that are like the iconic scenes, uh, even though it's probably like thirty minutes worth of the, of the four-hour running time, I would uh, definitely take that over Outbreak. So you're telling me like we're more. we're allowed to fast forward? Yeah, you can. We don't, you fast don't have to watch the whole thing. <laughs> you can skip over all the racist. You can bits just and... skip all the racism. <laughs> I would like to watch exactly. Gone with the Wind minus all the racism. <laughs> I just I want the one hour and thirty minute version. I'll, I'll give it to you. Okay. Outbreak or Marty. Everybody's favorite story. Please. 
you know, it's funny. I really enjoyed it. I feel like I remember enjoying Marty despite feeling very bored by it. God, it's so but boring. I feel like it loses to everything. And I'm feeling guilty about that, no. but I still am going to pick Outbreak. Yeah, <laughs> Outbreak. God. I'm sorry, Marty. Outbreak or Christmas in Connecticut. I will definitely say Christmas. Christmas in Connecticut. Yes, sir. Outbreak or Manhunt. Manhunt. Oh, really? That was, I think, the least uh, interesting of all of the Fritz Lang movies that we talked about. Um, then again, you do have uh, you do have George Sanders and his henchmen shoving the guy off the cliff. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, all right, I'll give you Manhunt. All right. Good. Outbreak or the Hound of the Baskervilles. Outbreak. Stupid yeah, dog. Outbreak. Yep. Yes, indeed. Uh, here we go. Outbreak or the Andromeda Strain. <laughs> oh man yep okay if it's just those two movies i'm gonna pick andromeda strain because that one while it was not great it was it was boring but it didn't make me mad yeah i think you're right um it's hard because outbreak i i at least feel entertains me but it also infuriates me <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the frustration I have with it. Is it like they didn't have to infuriate me? So I'll pick Andromeda String too. That leaves it at two thirty-seven. Believe it or not, the Crazies and the Andromeda Strain are both over Outbreak. I was convinced that this was going to be much higher when I went into watching oh, this movie. Yeah, no, I told you last week. I, this was the one I was most excited to rewatch of the whole series. Yep, and I am, I am stunned. <laughs> that it made me so mad. What a drag. This was what a, a drag. Major disappointment. We need a win, Andy. Where what does this do to your uh to your uh, letterbox ranking? You this know, is gonna I, be, this is gonna be this oh, you know, I'm softening my view. I, I still give it four stars. four stars. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, not that. Um I actually went into this uh uh giving this two stars, but over the course of our conversation, I'm down at one and a half now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just getting going down. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on one and a half, and that half star is only because you're at one and a half. It was gonna be a one star. I'm just oh, trying to keep you your go. math easy. You're so sweet. Yeah. What a giver. I'm a giver. <laughs> oh, too funny, man. Too funny. Oh, you know, interesting little uh, uh, note that really isn't that interesting, I guess. But way to I sell did it. Find it. Way to I sell did. It. I did find it very funny in this film that there are actually no naturally occurring capuchin monkeys in Africa. <laughs> so there you go. See, I totally went for that. Uh, because you show me a monkey, I, I'm going to be okay with that. I love monkeys. I don't care. I don't question, I don't question the, uh, uh, the provenance of the monkey. Well, it's funny because I just worked on a project here in Phoenix where we were out filming the desert and for the story that takes place in the Mojave Desert. And we were filming it in the Sonoran Desert. And, you know, the Sonoran Desert is full of uh, saguaro cactuses, which are the iconic cactus of yeah. deserts. And, uh, you know, the in, Mojave Desert. In the Mojave Desert, there are Joshua trees everywhere. And I told them, I'm like, well, your desert's really not going to look the same. And they're like, oh, it's okay. Everybody thinks it's just a desert when they see the cactuses. I'm like, oh, okay, shrug my shoulders, whatever. Because, I, I mean, sure that's you're true. Right about that. It's, it's true. It does, you know, people don't really care. They see, they see cactus and they go, oh, it's the desert. They don't care if it's the right desert. Maybe in 1980, Andy, but the internet cares about deserts. 
The internet well, will find a way internet. to make you yes. embarrassed about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, it won't be on my shoulders, though. That's right. No, I'm not uh, in the credits. <laughs> I'm not in the credits. <laughs> uh, please tell me that we have something good ahead of us. What is next? Oh, yes, and I'm very excited. We are going to get to talk about Serenity next time. Oh, sweet relief. <laughs> That's right. God, oh, it's I like think... manna from heaven. It, it might even <laughs> a stretch. You might even say this is not, uh, you would not classify this as a, a, a typical disease film. No, I think that's a, it is a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch, but that's okay. I will take it. God, <laughs> at this point, please. yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some Joss Whedon. Please release me from the, from this oh, hell man. we have been in for the last month. <laughs> oh, oh, so funny. God, so all right. Funny. Well, I'm pretty excited about that, Andy. Uh, before that, we do have, uh, just coming up this weekend... Uh, we've got uh, a film board. The film board gathers. Uh, JJ is going to be leading us through a conversation on Jason Bourne, which comes out uh, comes out probably if you're listening to the show right as it's released. It's probably playing tonight at midnight. You should go see it at your local uh, Cineplex, and then be ready for our conversation this weekend. Definitely. All right, that's it. I'm going to bed. Okay, but before you do, just let me draw some blood from just to check something. Oh, ah, damn it! Ah, oh, would you look at that? I just poked myself through my suit with your needle. Ah, well, no one noticed. I'll just keep on keeping on. Amazon. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon always doeth. I've got one. It's a two-star. It's a two-star. All right. Yeah, yeah. I felt like our review was such a downer, I went for a really uh, enthusiastic (laughs) two-star about Outbreak. This comes from Suppressed. uh, (laughs) I like the spelling. (laughs) I know. Suppressed with a T at the end, uh, who watched this film in 2013. I had confidence to view this film because of who the director was, Wolfgang Peterson, and because of an average of four-plus stars by reviewers on this website. However, my confidence was misplaced. Like so many disaster films, this one had all the ingredients for a winner, but it failed to deliver mainly because it seems director Peterson mailed this one in. In Das Boot, Peterson coaxed masterful performances out of a cast of young and relatively inexperienced actors, but in this film, Peterson didn't even manage to coax a convincing performance out of Dustin Hoffman, let alone the other film-acting luminaries in production. At best, Donald Sutherland was mildly convincing as a diabolical U.S. Army general. Pass this one by unless you need something to help you fall asleep. Buying this DVD might cost less than prescription sleeping pills. Now, I agree with the premise of suppressed here i disagree with just about every one of his individual points mm-hmm. you know what i mean donald yeah. sutherland is a mildly convincing not even mildly <laughs> <laughs> what's yours not even not even well i'm i'm changing things up a little bit actually oh. i uh was gonna do one star but i'm jumping up to five because i thought uh, you know so negative on the movie i wanted to give you a little uh, taste of the five stars because yeah, there are a lot of them let's hear how the other half lives Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, this person, uh, Dinawos, 
uh, says, it could happen in the blink of an eye. Although it's a fictional story, it could happen in the blink of an eye, anywhere, anytime. If you're not on the government's A-list, expect to be one of the many in those body bags. Did, did, she, did she watch this movie? <laughs> this is uh, what happens when conspiracy theorists watch movies like this. Jeez. Man. I mean, why, yeah. why don't we just give up and start pulling our reviews straight from Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. another four years we're gonna have whole scenes together after after Pete goes to bed I'm gonna have lines yep it'll be great it'll be great and then you're on a horse (laughs) (laughs) all right just for that just wait till you see next week's (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, god good lord why I show up every week. This kind of humor <laughs> keeps me alive. Here, here. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.